Tonight we turn together to Psalm 96 as we look to God's Word, and also looking at Belgic Confession, Article 1, page 855 in the back of hymnal, reminding us of the God that we worship, the only God. Tonight, looking at the justice of God. God is perfectly just. We'll be taking two weeks to look at this as there uh, there are many things to say about the justice of God. But let me remind us again of this article. Article 1 of the Belgian Confession, page 855. We all believe in our hearts and confess with our mouths that there is a single and simple spiritual being whom we call God. Eternal, incomprehensible, invisible, unchangeable, infinite, almighty, completely wise, just, and good, and the overflowing source of all good. We believe in our hearts and confess with our mouths that God is completely just. We want to look at what that means tonight. Let's turn our attention then to the reading of God's Word, Psalm 96, where God gives His Word to us. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless His name. Tell of His salvation from day to day. Declare His glory among the nations, His marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of of, of holiness. Tremble before him. All the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and all the peoples in his faithfulness. This is the word of God. The people of God, I'll never forget the quote that I heard about, I guess it was, I probably heard it before, but around my late high school years, early college years, Power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Since I thought about that maxim and what it meant, I thought, yeah, that's so true. It's it, it, Power, when given an absolute supply, when someone has an absolute power, it tends to corrupt. We can think of dictators. We can think of certain kings. We can think of, of many examples of how absolute power corrupts Absolutely. When, they, when world leaders achieve great power, approaching absolute power, at least in, as far as the earth is concerned, they abuse the power, and power corrupts. Well, we've been looking at the nature of and the attributes of God 
in our series in Belgian Confession, Article 1, and if our study has taught us anything, it's that God has absolute power, and He's totally sovereign. And that raises a question for us as we enter into this uh, topic, this subject of, of justice. Can God act justly when He has absolute power, or will He be corrupted by it? Justice, righteousness, we talk about those together, and can God act justly, righteously, even as he has absolute power? Well, as we begin to look at the justice of God tonight, we begin by noting that God is perfectly righteous. That's important for us to understand as we talk about God and his being, that he is perfectly righteous. Steve Lawson says this, a charge of injustice can never be brought against God's judicial authority. As the sovereign Lord of the universe, he never acts in an unjust manner. He is righteous. Because of this attribute, God always does what is right in his dealings. His righteousness informs the way he carries out his decree. He acts justly. Why do we need to discuss the subject of justice? Well, because there's injustice all around us, isn't there? We see it all around us. Injustice has been described this way, a disruption of God's order for the world. It's destructive to the world. God cannot not address injustice. And still be good. He needs to address injustice. His kingdom is established on righteousness and justice, the psalmist tells us in Psalm 89 and verse 14. As king, he must protect his kingdom from all that is unjust, all that is wicked, all that would seek to destroy or to undermine the goodness of his kingdom. He insists that justice be satisfied in any Any nation, as we see so vividly today, any nation that's not concerned with justice will fall. Proverbs 29 verse 4 says, By justice a king builds up the land. There's no other way to establish the kingdom. There's no other way to establish a kingdom. It's through justice, through righteousness. All the other means are bound to fail. All of the Ways in which man tries to establish himself, whether that's through bribes or, or some sort of, of, well, any unjust means, through deception, it's bound to fail. God has ordained it as such, and he oversees it this way. One commentator puts it this way, referring to Proverbs 1 verse 7, as with other knowledge... Comprehending justice begins with the fear of the Lord. Remember what Proverbs 1.7 says, right? The beginning of knowledge is the fear of the Lord, reverence for Him. That's where we gain knowledge. We gain understanding. He says this, as with other knowledge, comprehending justice begins with the fear of the Lord. Listen to what Proverbs 28.5 says. Proverbs 28, verse 5 says, Evil men do not understand justice. But those who seek the Lord understand all. I was reminded of that passage this week, and I thought, wow, 
If that doesn't hit home, if that doesn't speak to us today. That's the root of our present problem. We're not a nation of God-fearers. We're not a people who fear the Lord. And injustice is rampant. It's everywhere. Because we have no concern for God. We think we can establish our way. We can establish our path on our own reasoning and our own thinking. And God says, it will not happen. God will not allow injustice to stand. When he's speaking to the Israelites in in Isaiah 10, we're not going to look at that passage in its entirety, but in Isaiah, he comes and speaks through the prophet Isaiah, and he says, there is so much injustice in the nation. I've had it. And Isaiah 10 says, he says this to the prophet Isaiah, Woe to those who make unjust laws, to those who issue oppressive decrees to deprive the poor of their rights and withhold justice from the oppressed of my people. Woe to them. I will not tolerate it, he says. Injustice angers God because it attacks God. It attacks the good order God has made. And there will be a day of reckoning. That also is found in Isaiah 10 and verse 3. He says there will be a reckoning for those who act unjustly. And he asks this question, what will you do on the day of punishment? To whom will you flee for help? We'll look at the matter of God's just judgment of evil, of wickedness, next Sunday, but we can't it's, it's, it's nearly impossible to talk about justice and not talk about punishing wickedness. God sets it so clearly before us. He says, the day is coming. Well, I'm using the headings given in Steve Lawson's book, uh, Show Me Your Glory, as guide to help us uh, cover the various aspects of God's justice because there's so many. I, I, I wanted to, to think about how to organize it, and he had it laid out well, and I, I'd like to just use those headings in our, in our two sermons on this. Um, At least that's my intention, two sermons, perhaps there'll be more, but certainly two. Um, And the first is that God is just, and and, and that's what we've been building up to. God is just. The Bible's clear about that, and what does that mean? He will punish injustice, will not stand indifferent to those who would slight his word, to those who would just say, ah, I don't know. Maybe I'll obey him today. Maybe tomorrow I'll just live my, my life the way I want. I'll do it my way, as the song tells us. No, God will punish that. And he is the one who will do it. That's what I, that's what I want us to see in Psalm 96. First, this evening, God and God alone is judge. It says there in verses 10 and 13, He will judge the people. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world. So many today act as though they're the one that we must pass through in order to to receive affirmation, to receive acceptance. Oh, you have to do it my way. If you don't, I will judge you. 
Perhaps there is a time of, of alienation, a time of ostracization in our, in our lives, and people say, no, no, you, if you don't operate in the way that I want you to operate, then I will cancel you. But in the end, the final judgment is before God. He alone sits as the moral judge over the entire universe. We read that for Samuel chapter 2, verse 10 as well. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. A picture that all will come under his judgment. His judgment is just. You say, well, wait a minute, Pastor. I thought, I thought that it said that Jesus will judge. Yes, in God's progressive revelation, he says in John chapter 5, all judgment, Jesus says, has been entrusted to the Son. Why is that? Jesus explains it right there in John 5. He says, that, we, that you might honor the Son as you honor the Father. Because He too is God. Because He too is one person of the Godhead. He is worthy of honor. And the Father has entrusted judgment to Him that He might be listened to. We don't pit those two against each other and say, well, Jesus says this and the Father says that. No, they say the same thing. And it is very clear that Jesus will judge in keeping with what his Father declares according to his standard. He will judge in righteousness and with equity, we read in Isaiah 11. He is incapable of injustice, for there is no wickedness in him. Psalm 92, verse 15. There's, there's comfort in that. There's, there's no wicked. There's nothing that we can appeal to. As we're going to see, I'm jumping ahead to the, second, the next point. But we see people so manipulated today and, and so easily twisted and, and to get their way. They, they, they have ways of, of working the system, we say. But not so with God. He judges justly. There is no wickedness in him. People complain about injustice today. Authority is not respected for a number of reasons, but certainly authority is not respected because people don't want to be under authority. They don't want anyone saying, well, that standard applies to you. They say, no, it doesn't. I can do what I want. Freedom means I can do and be who I want to be. But we don't like authority, and we think that we can change our society by ignoring authority, making our own standards. Well, that's first. And secondly, there's... there's uh, 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 certainly some, some reason for their resisting authority because there's so much injustice in authority. They say, well, that's not even just. That's not equitable. I'm not going to listen to that. I'm not going to submit to that. And certainly there is a case to be made very often for that. There's injustice, but not so with God. The psalmist says this, ascribe glory to the Lord. Why? Well, in this psalm, because he is just. He is unlike any earthly ruler that we've ever seen or heard about. He is just, worthy of glory, to be set apart in our minds, to be worshipped. He has a righteous standard. There is no unrighteousness in him, as I've said already. Psalm 92 verse 15. His standard is perfect, and he makes judgment based upon it. We all want justice from time we're young. We hear about it. We don't have to teach children to say, I'm going to say, that's not fair. You don't have to teach anyone that, do you? We have a sense of justice. We say, that's not fair. 
Now, there's a bit of a distinction between fairness and justice. We don't have time. We're not, that's not the focus of our, of our time here tonight. But nevertheless, as we think about that as an illustration, we have a sense of justice. We know that there is that which is just and that which is unjust. And that's because we're made in the image of God, who is just. We're not at peace with injustice. We read in the Bible, God has told you what is good and what he requires. Remember that one? To do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. He tells us what's good. He tells us what he he requires of us, and that is to do justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly with our God. His just word is our guide, his righteous standard. So we move into the second point. We see, we are reminded of this. God cannot be tempted to evil. We read that James chapter 1. He is, he is not one who can be tempted to evil. There's no wickedness in him to which to appeal. No, no compromise, no confusion, no desires contrary to his holy will. He loves righteousness and justice, Psalm 33 tells us. He always does what is right. He never rewards sinful behavior. He never punishes obedience. That secondly, then, God is impartial. God's perfectly just nature means that he is impartial. Verse 10 says, he will judge with equity. He shows no favoritism. His standard is the same for every person. We are right to be troubled by the justice system today because there is a destructive regularity in the practice of injustice in our system today. Partiality. The justice system being manipulated by bribes. Not so with God. He is impartial. As the people of God entered the promised land, God gave rules for justice. Exodus 23 says, just to mention a few, he says, do not pervert justice. Keep away from false charges. Do not acquit the wicked. Take no bribes. For, verse 8 tells us, Exodus 23, a bribe blinds the clear-sighted and subverts the cause of those who are in the right. That's what it does. He warns that's what's going to happen. They were to act justly. Why? Because they represented God who is impartial, who is just. He accepts no bribe, shows no partiality. It's mentioned throughout Scripture. In New Testament, Paul says it, Romans 2, Galatians 2, God shows no partiality. Peter says it, 1 Peter chapter 1, God does not, or God judges impartially. And then he says, Peter says, this should lead us to live our lives in godly fear, for we will be judged impartially. He doesn't judge based upon who our grandparents were, who our parents were, how many stars we got on our Sunday school chart, how many verses we memorized, and oh, well, so we can do all of this because he's just going to look, at, he's going to overlook the sinful behavior because we did all these other good things. No, he's He judges impartially. He sees the heart. He says, I see what is going on inside of you. I know if you desire to serve and worship me or if you have ulterior motives for what you're doing. 
He says, I will judge impartially because I have perfect insight. No one's going to get away with anything. And it's not ours to judge. They, well, I don't, I don't know about that person. I'm not sure their, their motives are right. I, I, God says, that's not, your, that's not your place. I will judge and do so impartially for my glory. And to bring it to our civil realm, that's how the government is supposed to function, right? We, what we want to talk about, how does justice operate? God uh, set up government, and Romans 13 says, what, what is the government? The servant of God. Not the career politician to make a living out of, I'll scratch your back and if you, uh, if you scratch mine kind of approach, but rather servants of God to do what? To reward the good. And to punish evil. And sadly, we know all too well how judgments are not impartial today. Partiality is seen far too frequently, and courts are used for revenge when administrations change. Well, brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you tonight God is not like that. He doesn't change with administrations. He doesn't change when there is a change in earthly authorities. Same standard, same impartial judgment, no lack of clarity. Or God says, well, I, just, I guess I wasn't seeing it clearly until now. Now this new administration's really... Uh, helping me understand how things were. I, 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 didn't, uh, I didn't recognize there were so many choices. I didn't recognize there were so many ways to live. No, God doesn't change. He continues to hold out truth, and he does so through his word and through his people. He goes forth from his pulpits around the world. We speak clearly of who God is. And that we can rejoice that he is unchanging. He is impartial. And that does then speak to, as I said already, how we live. God says, I know, I see, I know what's going on. I discern your motives. Therefore, live in reverent fear before me. Our third heading then tonight is that God in his justice is rewarding. This is one we maybe don't think about as much. We certainly know how he rewards the wicked, and again, we'll see that more next week, Lord willing. But what do we mean that God is rewarding in its totality? Well, part of God's justice means that he rewards those who do good because he says he's going to, and he's just. He keeps his word. He rewards those who do good and punishes those who do evil. R.C. Sproul says this, A just judge is one who gives proper rewards for righteousness and proper punishments for evil. God rewards good works and punishes evil works. That's, that's how he set things up. He will reward the good. Steve Lawson puts it this way, God never forgets his people who keep his word. In the end, God rewards them for their faithfulness to his word. 
Now, we understand that by, uh, salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It is through the imputed righteousness, the, the reckoned righteousness of Christ to our account that we're reconciled to God. It's not that we're saving ourselves by, by doing good, and yet God works in us that we might do good, those works that He has prepared in advance for us to do. He promises that He takes notice of those. And he calls us to live in such a way that we might hear those words at the end that Jesus talked about where he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Jesus also says this, just to use some of these passages, he says, those who suffer persecution for right, to those who suffer persecution for righteousness, rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. He assures believers elsewhere, anyone who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward, and anyone who receives a righteous man because he is a righteous man will receive a righteous man's reward. And if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones because he is my disciple, I tell you the truth, he will certainly not lose his reward. In Matthew 16, 27, Jesus says the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Those are challenging passages. What are we looking at there? Is is, is there some sort of two-tiered system here? No. Again, we know how salvation is by grace alone, but we recognize also that God takes note of the good that his people do, and he will reward them for it. Paul says to the Corinthians, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So that each one may receive what is due do for what he has done in the body. Remember how the Lord talked to the Israelites and he said there will be blessings for obedience and curses for disobedience, Deuteronomy 28. That's a, a picture of, of, of that coming uh, new covenant and how God also speaks then of, of coming glory. God rewards his people for good. In Revelation 22, verse 12, we hear Jesus say, Behold, I'm coming quickly, and my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. Now, now these verses have been variously interpreted, but what I think is being said here is that whatever good we do is, we're to notice, is noticed by God. Noticed by God and in glory, it will be noted. I, was, I didn't put it in my notes, and I'm trying to think. I think it was Augustine who said that God crowns the gifts that he has given us for his glory. So he gives us these gifts, and then he crowns them for his glory. He says, this is, this is what I've done in my people, and he is glorified in it as we respond and say, yes, I want to use, as we heard this morning in God's reading of the will for our lives, is that we want to uh, use his varied gifts in service for his glory. Now, that in contrast to what the world may do. The world doesn't reward goodness, right? 
The world says, I don't really care what you're doing. In fact, I don't even think what you're doing is good. They call good evil and evil good. But God takes notice. That's what, we, that's what we, we've seen in those verses. And, and I don't want to take more time with that tonight. I, I tried to put this all together, and I, I, I didn't want to get it too, too lengthy. But what, what we take note of here is, is that uh, there will be a joyous reward when we see the Lord one day, and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. You have glorified me. Now come and enjoy your master's, what? Happiness. He rejoices over you as you do good. Though the world may not take notice and you say, well, well, it doesn't even matter, the psalmist says in the, in the Psalms, why am I trying to do good when the, right, when the wicked prosper? I just think it's all a waste of time. But it's not. Because God, in keeping with his word, says, I will, I do take notice, and I will reward you in that coming day. We're to live in such a way as to hear those wonderfully encouraging words, well done, good and faithful servant, which God will give to those who serve him. James Boyce says this, there's a wrong way to think about rewards. If we're serving only because we want to hear our name and the praise of heaven attached to it, we're acting as hirelings and not servants of Christ. We're just saying, well, yeah, I want people to notice me and I want, I'm waiting to get to heaven and say, yeah, that's me. I'm the one. I did it. Yeah, I can bring, bring the praise. Then we're doing it for the wrong reason. He says, that's not why we do it. He goes on. Still, there is a right way to think about rewards. They are set before us as one reason why the patriarchs and other biblical characters were faithful. They had much to discourage them, and he talks about their beatings and their, all, all, all of the, uh, the, the persecution, everything that happened there in the book of Hebrews, but they endured because they looked to the reward. They said, we're living for the glory of God, and we want to hear one day, well done, good and faithful servant. God does not fail to take notice of how you live. He encourages you to do good. He sees everything that you say and do. He knows what you think. He knows your motives. He sees what is done to his glory, and he will, he will in keeping with his words, reward that behavior by announcing that you are his child and show his delight in what is good. His just nature cannot not show delight in that which glorifies him. And in keeping with his word, he says, I will bless those acts of obedience. Again, it's not a meritorious thing, but it is rather his delight to see obedience. That's what he wants to see. That's what he longs to see in his people now. Though the world says, I don't care what you're doing, and I'm certainly not going to reward you for it. And we say, what's the point? It's here. God says, I will delight in you and reward you. Well done, good and faithful servant. Friends, we live for his glory. We do not receive the praise of men for our work, but there is coming a day when what we have done will be noted. Maybe someone will come, it was stated this way as I was looking at this, maybe someone will come to us 
in heaven and say, it was, it was your word that brought me to faith. It was, it was your example that, that taught me to, to press on. It was your action which helped me to understand the love of God. Brothers and sisters, speak and act to the glory of God, for he does not fail to take notice. Nor will he withhold his delight in the final day. This past week I heard someone say, Growing up, I never heard a word of encouragement for all that I did. I was never thanked or recognized for my efforts to help others. It was as though I did not exist, and my efforts were in vain. It was devastating to that particular person. Well, sometimes maybe we feel that way. No one notices. Why am I doing this? God notices. God sees. And he promises to note that in glory. He will not hold back his joy as the works which he has prepared in advance for you to do, you do his glory. That in keeping with his justice, he rewards obedience. Well, there's the reverse side of his justice. He justly repays the wicked for their deeds. But as I thought about that and getting into that, that's too much for one sermon. So we'll end it there this evening, but we want to recognize that those who stand opposed to him and his people have every reason to fear, for they will face the perfect, just wrath of God for their sins. But let us remember that we are to go forth to live for his glory that we might delight him in our everyday speech and action, even in our thoughts. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we reflect upon the fact that you're completely just, you keep your word, there is mixed in that reason for fear, holy fear, and motivation for doing good. You're one who rewards what is done in the body. Oh, not, not as though we're saved by works, but it is shown, it is recognized more to your glory that you might see, be seen as more glorious as you change our hearts and our lives to live for you. Lord, may we be motivated by that. May we remember that you are not one who judges impartially or one who judges with partiality, but you judge impartially. Therefore, we cannot act in any given fashion simply because, well, we have a certain pedigree or background. No, you see, you know. Help us to know our own hearts and to want to live for you godly fear, and then to be comforted to know that you are just and you will carry out your judgment upon the world and all will be made right. Those wrongs that we've, we've endured, those hurts that we have absorbed, Lord, you will, you will do with those 
you will comfort us by your love. May we be comforted in this as we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.